Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is the last episode of season four. We are at the end of July, and uh, that means it's time for August and football. And uh, even though this is a basketball podcast, we're we're going to start a new season. Um, so I don't. Matt, are we, where are we on thirty four? I think we're on thirty four, thirty five, something um, like that. Uh, so. You've already heard his voice, Matt Harris, uh, with us as always, here to uh, lend all the researching knowledge that he's uh, been hard at work compiling um, over the last few weeks. And uh, yeah, so we are on 34 is what it is. Just looked it up. Um, Matt, there is a lot going on in uh, the Mizzou Mediascape. Uh, and we're going to try to get to a lot here. Um, over the last few weeks, uh, news came out that Texas and Oklahoma had planned, uh, to leave the big 12, uh, and join the SEC. Um, that move would, uh, basically turn the SEC into a uh, football Super League, um, taking, you know, regardless of how you feel about Texas uh, as a football program, maybe over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, been pretty, pretty mediocre, um, you know, since the latter years of the Mac Brown era. Um, it's still a football powerhouse. And uh, I think a lot of people would kind of consider them in that blue blood status of college football programs. Uh, Oklahoma uh, has has basically, you know, inserted themselves into whatever vacuum uh, Texas has sort of left by being the premier team in the Big 12. Um, going back to, you know, Bob Stoops uh, into the Lincoln Riley era. Um, two absolute powerhouse football programs joining uh, far and away the best football conference in the country. Um, that is a... Uh, a big baller move um, by the SEC to to be adding these programs, and it's it, it's also not a bad move for basketball because uh, Texas has obviously uh, just recently hired Chris Beard. Um, I'm I think they would be it would be hard pressed for for another program to be spending more on their assistant pool than than what Texas is spending. Uh, if there is a school, I'd I'd like to hear about it. Um, you know, and Oklahoma has, uh, you know, been a sustained, successful program under Lon Kruger for a lot of years, uh, basically, basically being a shoe in for the NCAA tournament every year. Obviously, reached some heights with Buddy Heald era uh, when they were, you know, protected seeds and stuff like that. But uh, Matt, uh, what do you make of this move? Um, off the top, uh, definitely a a sign that Greg Sankey's not afraid to go for the jugular. Um, these were probably the two biggest um, assets you could have gotten or pulled in this climate outside of Notre Dame. Um, they're both coming here now. Uh, it's going to obviously force um, or potentially open up another rights negotiation with ESPN. It's going to bring in more money. It's going to funnel even more of it into coffers of schools that already have a lot of it. So just from a business move, it's it's pretty it's a, it's pretty assertive, and I think that's been said a lot. Um, football wise, 
there's a pod that you know handles that um, for us. Uh, Nate and BK got on that last week. Off the top, from a basketball perspective, um, I think it's interesting. You know, Texas has always been one of those teams that I think, through the latter years of Rick Barnes' tenure and even through Shaka Smart's tenure, courted and drew a lot of talent to Austin. Um, didn't always win at a level that you would see commensurate with the recruiting that they were doing. Lon Kruger um, drew occasionally hot elite talent. You know, we can all think of like Trey Young, but realistically, Oklahoma didn't always, you know, bring in top flight talent. I'm looking at it right now. Since conference expansion and since Missouri moved to the SEC back in 2012, over the last eight or nine years, their average recruit's only been about an 89 out of 100 in the 247 composite, but Lon Kruger's fantastic at identifying talent, at, de- at developing cores, and then going and getting guys like Trey Young and plugging them in, and or fu- or finding guys like Buddy Heald and developing him, and you know doing an or Brady Manick, who's going to be a guy who's going to be you know grad transferring to North Carolina. So just really fantastic at talent identification, development, and you know I think you look at what those two programs are going to add right now. On paper, they're probably going to be two teams that you would assume coming into the league are going to be teams that, if they're functioning at a healthy level, are going to contend You know, to be in that top six out of 16 every year. They just have the kind of resources, they have the kind of coaching, and they, kind of, they have the kind of track record that will tell you that they're going to be contenders in this conference. And so uh, our friend Corey Keyes um, tweeted this out the other day. It just got really hard if you're one of those teams in the middle of the conference now to push up because there's two more really, really solid programs sitting in your way. Um, so the job gets harder if you're, you know, kind of one of those teams that's fighting, you know, probably every year in bubble status. It gets harder now to, to sort of push away up the standings. But undoubtedly, it's it's good for the basketball brand of the product, for the conference uh, to add two quality programs like this. You know, one of the things I'm, I, I sort of mentioned in the, the- – you know, post that I, I, you know, talked about this a little bit. Um, yeah, obviously we like to kind of give Texas a hard time. I mean, you know, the lost odds had some choice words to say about Missouri's program. And, and, uh, and I think the sort of, you know, flip of success of Mizzou versus Texas over the years is, um, you know, I think speaks for itself to a degree. Um, but I don't think you can really um, overestimate the quality of the rest of te- uh, Texas's athletics. Um, one of the things I brought up was that they, they won the director's cup this year, which is like the first time in 25 years that Stanford hasn't won. Um, yeah. You know, like that's impressive. And I, I, you know, Stanford may have been impacted uh, probably to more of a degree than, uh, you know, than some other schools due to, uh, you know, like shutdowns, the coronavirus and stuff like that. You know, I, I think that definitely might have played a little bit of a role, uh, at least as far as, you know, what games you're able to play. Um, but still, I mean, like that's that's a, a an achievement. And, and Texas's overall athletics and Oklahoma's overall athletics uh, are excellent. And so, like, this is something that, is going to be a boon overall for the league. Um, you know, like I, I definitely, you know, both 
programs are uh, undergoing coaching changes. Um, I, you know, I think Chris Beard is probably one of the five best coaches in college basketball today. I am kind of curious to see what it looks like when a guy like him who has, you know, like taped together uh, some rosters in the past and one big, uh, what it looks like when he's coaching premier talent. Uh, and, you know, and Texas is, is really putting themselves in, in prime position to be landing a lot of really uh, premier players. And certainly uh, in a short order, he's, he's flipped that roster into something that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, like the, the, the move for, you know, Porter Moser and, and what that means for Oklahoma. Um, obviously they've, they've invested in basketball. They believe in, in Moser. I, I think, you know, Moser is a guy that, um, I, yeah, I think a lot of Missouri fans have been happy, uh, you know, if they'd have hired him, um, you know, if, if Conzo's job were, were in jeopardy at some point and, and Moser found his way to Columbia, I think, I think a lot of people would be happy. Um, I think Mosier is a guy who definitely benefited from uh, the recovery of his first stint. Uh, you know, when he wasn't very good, I think it was at Illinois State, uh, and then he went and and worked with Rick Majerus. And as somebody who watched Rick Majerus, uh, you know, build a pretty mediocre to bad slew program uh, into being a I mean, they were in position to be like protected seed, <laughs> uh, you know, like you know, before Majerus got got sick and had to step away. Uh, and obviously, like, you know, the whole Jim Cruz thing happened and, and uh, you know, that became tough. But Majerus, I think, was a really good situation. And, and, and you know, Moser seemed to be a different kind of coach at Loyola. He was, I mean, obviously a place like Loyola, you could be more patient uh, than maybe you would be um, at a, you know, at a place like Oklahoma, but I, you know, I'm definitely interested to see because uh, both Beard and Moser are taking over basketball programs in a little bit of state of flux and taking on roles that they're really not accustomed to. Like there's going to be more pressure on Moser uh, that, and, and Beard is going to, have to convince uh, a lot of high-end talent uh, to play as hard as as you know he got um, as he got guys to play like it at uh, at Texas Tech and uh, what was it Little Rock that he was at before that? So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I obviously think both those guys are 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 going to do really well, and it definitely like it 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 shifts uh, the what was. I think what has been stabilizing as a basketball league, I, like I really feel like, you know, we've we've talked about the SEC basketball and their their basketball for for years, and and how, uh, you know, things kind of have have ebbed and flowed, and I, you know, I, I I really kind of feel like the last few years, despite all these investments and in, and in, you know the coaching and all that, like the SEC basketball overall was just sort of okay, um, but I think what this does is. I think it it really solidifies, you know, the middle and the top of the league as far as, um, you know, two programs who are going to be stalwarts in the NCAAs. Um, you know, another good thing that the SEC has suffered from is not having uh, anybody really outside of Kentucky. Um, obviously, this this last year it was it was Alabama, 
but not really having like that consistently great program. Um, you know, that, that when you, when you beat them at their place or when you beat them at your place, like that's a notable win on your, your, your tournament resume. Um, you know, and, and so maybe that the committee will overlook you losing at home to, uh, you know, somebody who finished 12th or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it makes the league a lot, a lot deeper. Yeah. Uh, Texas's, uh, program rating in Kim Palm, uh, when he did his program ratings a couple of years ago, uh, for, which spans from 1997 to 2021, Texas is 11th, uh, just behind Louisville and ahead of Ohio State, and Oklahoma is 31. Texas has 11 top 25 Kimpom finishes in the last 25 years. Uh, Oklahoma has eight. So uh, Texas is a little bit ahead of that. Uh, Oklahoma, in terms of efficiency, uh, efficiency-guided performance, if you're going to look at that as sort of any sort of indicator there. But to me, I think what stands out here is Chris Beard, um, Knows the state of Texas incredibly well. He's going to have no problem getting the investment he wants there. He's already, as you said, flipped the roster. And what we're seeing already is he's he's managing to get Texas into the fight for guys that they need to keep home. Uh, Arterio Morris committed last week to them. Uh, he's a top 30 kid, borderline five-star guy. Um, they were deep in the mix for Keontae George, but it looks like he's probably going to wind up at, at Baylor, but there are still, you know, three or four guys in Texas that if they get both, that if they get one or two of them along with Arturo Morris, that's going to be a top 10 recruiting class just out of recruiting their own state and their own backyard. They've invested in guys who know that state really well, who have track records there. And Beard had shown a knack before this at working the transfer portal and going and finding guys and managing to to backfill pieces that he needed, and he did that right now. So I think if you look at how Chris at least builds his rosters, he's mastered that in terms of the current environment. But like you said, is he going to be able to find guys that are going to buy into what he wants to do, particularly because he's a he is a Bobby Knight acolyte. You know, He believes in sit-down, no-middle-guard-your-man man-to-man defense, and they still run you know, motion-based stuff offensively and they don't push the pace. Is that going to be something that sells major recruits? Hey, you're going to come here, and the thing you're going to do is grind grind out possessions, and then we're going to try and you know really teach you these different kind of off-ball actions to try and get good shots. I have a sense that he'll adapt like most coaches do, and you may see his system change there. Porter, Porter Mosier runs modern offense. You know, If you look at any sort of like coaching clinic website, his cut-ups, his plays, his actions are – know what guys want to go see right now what Porter did that I think is really really important to take away is he understood the environment that he worked in the core of his rosters were taken from you know suburban Chicago kids he you know worked those kind of outer fringe areas found guys who had a ton of skill brought them in and then he would go into areas like Kansas City or Omaha and he'd work back I think now that he's got the staffing resources he can kind of find a way to to land a middle ground. I don't know if Porter Moser needs to land a top 15 class every year. I think he's shown along with his staff, that they can identify talent much in the way that, you know, Lon Kruger could. But I think what he has now is the ability to hire staff, 
to go out and get that kind of next level guy. Maybe one or two guys on the roster that are going to be four or five star level or high four star guys that you can kind of plug into those cores and be really competitive. But he's, you know, his teams run great stuff. They're well coached. They're well drilled. They're going to be on point. So it's, I think you're getting two quality coaches who just have a sense of who they are and have a style they want to play. And I think that's important going into both of those jobs. They're not just guys who, you know, rode one or two, you know, years of success at a particular program. They've shown that they can carry that and translate it and build it out over time. So I think that's going to be important. I think the other thing that I look at is who's going to move down in this environment. You know, what sort of programs do you see are going to get pushed out here? You know, I look at a program like Texas A&M. You know, poor A&M <laughs> seems to be the, you know, has taken probably the brunt of this betrayal from the gentleman's agreement that Texas wouldn't be let in. But A&M spent a lot of money on Buzz Williams, and Buzz has, you know, hit some turbulence the last couple of years. You know, is is Buzz Williams and A&M going to, you know, be a little bit derailed here? You know, I look at a program like Mike White in Florida. You know, you and I have talked about, you know, Mike's ability to recruit talent to Florida, but his entire staff turned over this year. He's had to bring in a little, a few more transfers than he's used to. And only Kawasi Reeves is the top 50 kid on his roster. And Mike is a guy who, outside of one run to the Elite Eight, has only won about nine or ten games a year. You know, Mike's shown he can get talent, but in this league, if the coaching depth is, has, you know, gotten even better, what happens to Mike White at Florida? If, you know, if the guys who have gotten him players are no longer there and he's, you know, not able to coach up that talent, does he suddenly find himself in trouble? I look at a school like Ole Miss, which, you know, you and I have talked about privately, you know, Kermit Davis has done a good job kind of holding the line for what Andy Kennedy's done, but is he going to be able to elevate that program? And Ole Miss is invested, but is Kermit the guy who's going to be able to elevate it? You know, Ben Howland has the smallest budget in the SEC and consistently gets that team into the middle of the pack. Is that sustainable for Ben now? You know, is Ben going to be able to make, you know, the lowest budget in this conference work for him, especially now that, you know, the Atlanta market's tough to get into, you know, Auburn's done a good job getting in there and making it work. And I just think it's going to be fascinating for those types of programs. And if you're a program like Missouri, you know, it's, it's you know, <laughs> I don't want to be too dour, but it's just tough. Missouri's been about 12th or 13th in spending over the last decade. And now they've got to make a push past teams like Ole Miss, past Florida, past those kinds of teams is this program in a position to do that or are they going to, or is whoever is, you know, taking over the reins of this athletic department going to have to have some deep thought about, you know, what, what's going to get it done here. So I I think that's, what's fascinating to me is, you know, obviously Oklahoma and Texas are teams that we're going to say are upper half of the conference teams, but there's a lot of teams behind them that now have to sort of, I think reevaluate where they are. And that, that's going to be fascinating to see kind of how those power dynamics and, and kind of that pecking order shifts and how fluid it is. Well, yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, I was listening to the, you know, Parrish and Norlander's Ion College Basketball podcast. Uh, um, I don't know. This is a few months back. And, I yeah, they were talking about 
you know, the depth of the the big 12 and their, and their coaches. And, you know, basically like, I think it was, it was essentially the idea to fire Steve Prohm and they were, they were discussing Iowa state and what kind of job it was. Like, who are you going to go get? Who's going to push you up the stage? Well, yeah. And I think like, that's kind of the point is like, you know, somebody, somebody has to finish at the bottom. Like somebody each year is going to have like a roster that just doesn't quite work. And it's going to be a bad year is, so is the decision at that point, you know, going to be, so let's say, you know, two years from now, uh, you know, Ole Miss, well, let's say like, you know, this year Ole Miss has a good year, but not great year. They just missed the tournament. Uh, and then next year, like something happens, shit hits the fan. And all of a sudden, like Ole Miss is finishing, uh, yeah, like 15th out of 16 teams. Um, you know, like they're let's even say like their Ken Palm rating is like 85, right? <laughs> like, like they're not, they're not terrible, but they just struggle to win games. Like, are you, are you going to fire the coach at that point? And I like, and this is one of the things that I've always kind of worried about, you know, Missouri, and maybe this would kind of lead us into our next conversation about, about making sure that you have the right guy and then trusting that guy, uh, to execute his vision. Um, like I feel that programs like Ole Miss, programs like Missouri that that don't that aren't funneling uh, the amount of money that you know Texas is, the amount of money uh, that Alabama is into their basketball programs, um, like those programs, yeah, should probably expect to win at a higher level. But Missouri has never really done that, and and I really kind of feel like if you're not going to like outspend people, then you need to be more patient. Um, and I, like, I, I am a, a believer in Conzo Martin and I do think that he's a guy that, that can get the job done. Um, I do think there needs to be some more strategic investment in the program, but if Missouri, so, you know, like Missouri is about to bring on a new athletic director. I really feel like, if Missouri struggled this year and missed the tournament next year, like depending on how that next year went and, and how recruiting went, all that kind of stuff, like I really kind of feel like Stirk was, was a believer in Conzo and would probably give him the benefit of the doubt. But, but a new the guy. new guy. And what we've seen in this league is new ADs like to go get their co- own coach. You know, I look at, you know, Arkansas, Moved on from Mike Anderson, a guy who, you know, you and I think is a really, really good basketball coach, but hadn't quite elevated Arkansas to where it wanted to be. Alabama moved on from Avery Johnson in short order. Mike Anderson, by the way, was the second winningest coach during his his tenure in the SEC. He won the second most conference games of anyone in the SEC during that period. I realized that was like a period of, uh, and and it got him fired because because the the one year they were. I don't know, what were they, like 7 and 11 or 8 and yeah. 10, something like that. And Hunter Yurchik made his move. You know, you look at a school like A&M, and, you know, Billy Kennedy, it's sort of his staff had turned over, his best recruiters were gone. Scott Woodward, who was there before he moved to LSU, went and got Buzz Williams. You know, uh, a new AD comes in, you know, with Bryce Drew struggling over two years, and cans him and hires Bryce Drew. There is a recent run of ADs in this conference 
not giving their guys more than one to two years under their direction before they go get their guy. And that's going to be, I think, you know, somebody at, you know, I think Austin Kim tweeted the other day after we saw that, you know, Jim Stark was stepping aside, you know, what's your top three priorities? And I just feel like the natural thing is going to be whoever comes in the door here is going to be evaluating the basketball program up and down. And that's not a negative connotation at all. That's just, that's what's going to happen. Because Eli Drinkwitz's contract is set up to where no one's going to want to pay the buyout on the front end there. Your other revenue sport, though, has a coach whose contract basically sets up a three-year extension. And by the time a new new AD is in here, Zoe may be going into the second, maybe going to his sixth year overall, but that second year of a three-year kind of auto-renewal. And an AD is going to want to decide, okay, if, you know, do we want to potentially consider an extension here? Are we going to need to, you know, evaluate, you know, the track record for the last six years? I just think it's going to be a natural thing once we have a new AD in place that there's going to be an evaluation of where the program is. And I think once you get six to seven years into a tenure, you can begin to really have that sort of longitudinal look at how everything's going and really you know, reach some conclusions about the direction of the program. And so I think that's going to be the most interesting thing for any new AD coming in here is what does Conzo's sixth year look like and how much does that influence their decision to either just say, okay, we're going to take it all the way down to the end of this extension, the end of this original deal, extend, or are we going to go a different direction? So I think that's, for Missouri, that conversation is going to be coming up a lot faster or have a lot more urgency than it otherwise might have had Jim Sterk still been in place. Yeah, and I think like that's that's sort of the the crux of it is, you know, like I I clearly wrote uh, my opinions on Sterk, and I'm I'm not a big Jim Sterk fan, but I, I recognize that he was good in a few areas. I don't think he was particularly beloved by anybody, um, even within the, uh, you know, the athletic office. I don't think he endeared himself um, to a lot of people in and around Mizzou. And I think that's probably why, you know, and I think Munchoy has his own reputation as being a bit prickly. (laughs) Uh, So I don't don't necessarily think that... um, you know, like that's why this isn't all that surprising to see that that this move is made. Um, you know, Jim Sterk very clearly and very publicly uh, had his knees cut for, uh, cut out from under him during the football coaching search. Eli Drinkwitz was not his candidate. His candidate was, I believe, it was Blake Anderson, right? Yeah. Um, and and he was told that wasn't good enough. And so if like, if that's, if that's your AD, the guy that you're, you're bringing on to hire and, 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 and make these decisions. Uh, and they clearly felt comfortable with him making the decision to fire Barry Odom. Uh, and, and look, it has worked out really well. Like Eli Drinkwitz and Eli Drinkwitz has also a really good contract because of all that, that happened. Uh, like if, if Eli was like the guy from the beginning Missouri is probably not paying him as much. The buyout isn't as high, um, you know, and and you're probably not having to make as many concessions as as Missouri has had to make. That being said, like I, I 
I do think it's overall been a really positive experience having Eli Drinkwitz as the head football coach of Missouri. And I hope it continues to progress and, and play out well. But the Missouri basketball program has, has been something that, uh, you know, there are a lot of diehard fans out there and fans that are frustrated and fans that are ready for this program to matter again. And, and you know, all credit to Conzo for basically bringing the program back from the dead. He's got the heartbeat started, but they're not exactly running around. You know, like the program is, is on... Or, or, it's back to its baseline performance. Exactly. I even said that like on a Facebook post. I think I said, you know, he's he's brought us back to baseline and somebody's just like, you know, they, they took umbrage with my language. And it's just like, well, it's, it is what it is. Like, you know, two NCAA tournaments in four years, despite, uh, you know, a, a plethora of injuries, I, you know, I think is is what you want as a baseline for the program. And if that's the baseline, that's that's fine. You know, but what is the ceiling? So you want the baseline, and I think you and I would agree with this, like you want the baseline to be like a down year. You're still getting to seven-ish wins in the league. Um, you're still finishing close to the top half. The bottom isn't falling out. I think the issue, and this goes back to what we said after Conzo was hired, was everyone coming out of that search knew where knew where the floor was like we all could look at his track record at Tennessee and at Cal and sort of say, okay, the floor is going to be high here, but where's the ceiling on this? And I think for Missouri fans, the frustration has been that there's been, and you and I talked about it, you know, a couple of pods ago, drink hasn't, you know, produced massive success on the field, but he's at least recruited well enough to make people think, okay, maybe there's a higher ceiling here. And what's happened with Conzo's program, you know, whether it's been through injuries undermining the rosters a little bit, through recruiting misses, you know, you know, all the things we've talked about in the past year, it there hasn't been that clear evidence that, yeah, the ceiling's being raised here. And I think the frustration that a lot of fans feel, and I think that's that Conzo's going to confront with the new bosses. If you get in, like this year is clearly going to be a reset year. We'll talk about that on another pod. I think, but I think all of us who are going into this season, you know, with open eyes, know it's going to be a reset. The question is, does the roster look like it's got, you know, pieces moving forward so that next year it's in the bubble conversation and a new AD can say, okay, yeah, this, this program has recruited well enough to supplement a roster that's a bubble team. We feel good, you know, that choppy, you know, year in, you know, years three and four, you know, we've, we've moved past that. If the next couple of years are teams that are, you know, I think I said today, I thought this team was probably a team that's going to settle between like 14 and 18 wins. If that's the conversation you're having next year in year six, then I think there's going to be a, a much harder conversation. And I think that gets ramped up now because Conzo as was pretty much Jim's only candidate in this search. He did not like you didn't read about Jim Sterk flying around interviewing a bunch of basketball coaches. It was they zeroed in on Conzo. They basically went to Tony Bennett for a character reference, and that was the guy. And you know, I could see another AD deciding, 
We've seen six years here. We've seen almost every kind of condition that this staff is going to have to work under. I think we can go get someone else. That could potentially happen. And I think that conversation now is one that, you know, you and I can have and, you know, other people wouldn't be wrong in saying that, that the pressure gets ratcheted up just a little bit on this staff now considering the guy that hired them is out the door. Yeah, and I it's it's certainly it's certainly going to be interesting because you know I I think my argument in the 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 pro conzo um you know side of things has always been well we don't really know what his ceiling is at this point. You know, maybe his ceiling is is Matt Painter, you know, like maybe his ceiling is uh, you know is is a final four coach maybe a ceiling is jay wright like we really don't know because you know he he took the tennessee job and and was basically run out of there because you know fans really wanted bruce pearl uh despite the fact that Kanza was cleaning up bruce pearl's mess um and he went to cal which is a really tough place uh and he had he had moderate success at both places and at Mizzou, like he's done well. Like it, it hasn't, it hasn't been great. I, I think with with context, which you and I, you and I always like to, to use when we discuss these things. Uh, with context, it's it's gone really well. I would say, like you, I would give him a, like a a B. It hasn't been great. Um, I think there's been a couple misses that I, I think things have could things could have gone better. Um, but it's, it's gone well enough that I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, but like this last year, uh, was really the first time that we've ever seen Konzo within a program for that, that much time. Uh, so now we're hitting year five, uh, and we, we still like, like, we don't know. And now he's like, he's changing gears and wanting to play with more pace. He's changed his roster in a way that, that looks like it's going to. Uh, you know, play with a little bit more uh, modernity and and um, and and be a more forward-thinking offense. Uh, I assume they're still going to you know defend and and you know try and rebound like you know typical Conzo teams have always done. Um, you know, but but what does a Conzo-led program look like? Uh, and I don't think like anyone can definitively answer that uh, just because a guy has been, um, you know in three different segments of, you know, short three-year tenures, mostly mediocre. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm hopeful that, that this year, um, you know, like I, I, I think that they're probably going to steal a couple games that people don't expect them to. And I, I think they're probably going to end up closer to what they were like maybe a couple years ago. Um, you know, and I think they ended up winning like seven games in, in league play. And, uh, I think a lot of people were a little surprised by that. Um, you know, but the year after that is, is really, <laughs> really going to be important. Uh, and I, yeah, I like, I'm not sure what we definitely have to watch this year play out, but I like, I, we don't, we don't know what this roster is going to play like this year. We don't know how that projects out two years, so it's just like it's really going to be interesting to see who they hire and if the if the guy that they that they bring in is like, you know, a little bit more of a young gun that wants to, 
uh, to you know play some disruption or, or somebody that that uh, you know maybe understands the challenges and and wants to sort of you know uh, give Conzo a little bit more runway. The program's at a point where it's. I think it's recruiting <laughs> to the level that you can expect, given, you know, like we talked about all the investment in there, and given you know what its peers are doing. It's, and you don't ever want to say lower your expectations, and but we we had a big long talk about recalibrating them. But you bring in two programs that over the last 25 years have been objectively better than yours it and you know you look at the programs that are in front of them Missouri was probably the eighth or ninth best team in the SEC since you know during the Ken Palm you know rating period from 97 to 2001 if you put two teams in front of them what are they now like 10th or 11th historically over the last 25 years in this conference it's about where their spending is it's about where their recruiting is you know there's and Missouri, you know, throughout, you know, even back to when Mike Anderson, you know, started his last four-year cycle here in 2008, the budget's been about the same, you know, every year, and the recruiting has sort of, you know, there have been great classes and low classes, but it's all sort of settled out. Like, if Missouri is this program that the diehards think it can be, it's, you know, it's starting to reach that point where, it either, you know, Missouri either starts acting like it from an administrative perspective or fans understand that this is just the reality of it. And that sounds defeatist and people would probably say that's quitting and that's negative, whatever. But Missouri has, you know, shown you what it is for the last 25 years. And it's had some moderate runs of success. It's had some good teams in there. But if you want to elevate the standard of the program, I think in the next one to two years, we're going to see what maybe is required to do that. Uh, you know, we're going to need to see it from Conzo. Is is you know he now at a point where he begins to show us what his ceiling is? If and we're going to see it from an administration that's going to have somebody new at the helm. Are they going to come in and say, you know, this is a program that you know has tried to make do, you know, for the last decade plus, and we really need to reinvigorate it. And we're going to go about doing that in a way that's dynamic. And we're going to make sure that we have the you know personnel in place to do it. I don't know, but it just feels like you're reaching an inflection point with this program. You know, being in a new conference for almost a decade, having a coach here for six years, and kind of seeing what the last 25 have been like in aggregate. We're like, it's just going to have to come down to people are going to have to decide this is the priority, and we're going to commit to it. And we'll see if that happens. But you know, you and I have talked about like making strategic investments around the margins and trying to do stuff. And that's all well and good, but I think you're getting to a point where in the next couple of years, you're just going to have to see something probably more dramatic take place. I think if you really want to make a push into the upper tier and you really want to be in the conversation, it's going to take a concerted effort, not just trying to be strategic or pragmatic about it. So, Yeah, I think basically there's there's a, a couple different ways that you can approach this. So you are either going to rejuvenate your program by hiring the right guy at the right time. Um, and I, I think the risk with that scenario is you you do end up with, let's say, somebody like Chris Beard. Like you, 
you get crispier to Texas Tech. Texas Tech has, has long had a history of, of, you know, being decent and sometimes like, you know, their their recent history with Bob Knight and, and they were cheap as hell though. And Tubby Smith, right. Well, I mean, they got they got, you know, one of the game's greatest coaches, albeit a raging asshole, um, you know, uh, to basically <laughs> Uh, you know, coached there for a few more years. Um, wh- who was it? Was it? Then they hired. Then they promoted his son. Yeah, that's gonna say that. Hired yeah, Billy. Was... Gale- hired Billy Gillespie. Oh, Billy Gillespie was <clears throat> not in a good personal space, <laughs> personal headspace at that time. Then they hired Tubby Smith, who was just not good at all. They pushed Tubby out. Well, t- and... t- no, Tubby. Tubby was was solid. So Tubby kind of got them back to the NCAA tournament. He took the Memphis job, yeah. Um, you know, and that's when they got Beard. Uh, you know, like I don't know if you remember that <clears throat> crazy. Yeah, kind he of was carousel. at UNL. Yeah, he was at or, UNLV. Yeah, he took then... the UNLV job for like nine days or something like that. Um, you know, but but I think you know the the risk when you when you uh, when you hire like that right coach at the right time, like if you do land somebody like Beard, the risk is always that. You know, someone's going to come take a, a better job becomes available quickly, and like, <clears throat> and that's kind of what happened when Beard left for Texas. Like Beard took Texas because it's a better job; uh, he can get more of what he's looking for, which is money, uh, and not just in his own pocket, but into the program. Um, and and I, I like I think that that's part of the risk. Um, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad move because I think what he did is uh, he did help elevate Texas Tech's program. Obviously, you know, they <laughs> had some really uh, great success there. I mean, uh, national championship game and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the other way is through through patience, which is, I think, how... Uh, Purdue and Villanova approached it with with both Jay Wright and uh, you know and Matt Painter, where they gave them time, they gave them strategic investments. It you know it took Matt Painter flirting with Mizzou job to get Purdue to kind of you know kick in some additional money, um, you know. But but that obviously has worked out for those programs. Um, and then the the other way is to sort of spend your way out of it, uh, where you are willing to. And you know, and Missouri has never really been this. So I think you're probably looking at at one of the the first two options is you're hoping to kind of strike gold with your next coaching hire, or uh, you need to be patient. Um, you know, because I just I I don't think Missouri is ever going to be a team that is just suddenly going to uh, spend the way that like Alabama or Texas or uh, you know, even to some levels now, Oklahoma, Arkansas, a way that these programs are able to just, all right, like we, you know, we're going to increase uh, or Illinois, like Illinois basically offering Orlando Antigua a million dollars to stay. Like that's a significant investment. Um, and I just don't think Missouri is ever going to do that. So I'm, this is why I'm hopeful that console works out, you know, because if if he works out, you have the the second method, which is being patient, making small minor investments, and bringing that budget up to a point where you are competitive, uh, but also the program uh, is able to sustain a level of success where it becomes 
uh, it becomes more natural for kids to think of you as an NCAA tournament team. Um, you know, obviously they need to get into the tournament and win a few games uh, at some point. Um, you know, but I'm always leery of, of, you know, being the program that chases, uh, you know, the next hot shot, because I think far too often you're, you're going to end up, um, you're going to end up with somebody that, that you don't necessarily love, uh, after you <laughs> strike out on, on the guys that you want. Um, you know, I think Frank Cave is a good example of that. Um, you know, or, 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 you know, if you do get lucky, you get Mike Anderson and, and a guy who's a, a program builder and, and is able to kind of be sustainable success. Uh, and then he leaves for, for, you know, his, his home job. I'm fascinated just by what the league hierarchy and structure looks like once these other two get here, whenever that is, assuming that there's not any other legal, legal wrangling that happens. Um, I think what I, what and you mentioned it way back early on is you know the familiarity of of opponents and kind of the change to who you're going to play i'm excited because i think it can change the schedule that missouri plays every year um i think going you know if people are already throwing around their versions of what a pod system should look like um i think for missouri it that's beneficial if they get into kind of the pods that people have talked about if that's the structure you know where you would be with Arkansas Oklahoma Texas or and or Texas A&M you know having and having those be your home and homes if you're playing six games you know with Arkansas Oklahoma and one of the Texas schools I think that's better I think that 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 makes more sense than what happens now where you know Ole Miss is one of your designated rivals um that uh, has always seemed like a stretch. So I, I'm excited about that, and, and I'm sure uh, Mizzou fans will love to show up to Missouri and, and welcome Texas back and say, we missed you, and <laughs> it's been it's been fantastic. I, I'm sure Rick Barnes is looking really, really forward to going back to Austin and seeing how things are going there um, and saying, hey, Chris, are you enjoying it? Is it nice? Is, is it everything you hoped it would be? So... Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to or, or is how that sort of plays out. But um, yeah, a lot going on and we thought it was going to be a little bit slow coming out of late July. Well, yeah. And I, I do think that um, I, I am interested to see because, you know, essentially like basketball has kind of been running on a pod system already Um you know, where everybody in the league has their, their three permanent rivals. Um, and rotating, you know, their head to head. Yeah. And, and then rotating and, and, and that's, that's essentially a pod system. Obviously it's a little lopsided because, uh, you know, a 14 team league versus a, what would happen with a 16 team league. Um, you know, but I, I am curious to see how they, they kind of deal with these teams because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to say that I think that, uh, you know, they're just going to throw Missouri back with their old conference foes and it's going to be, uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma and, and Texas A&M all the time. Uh, you know, mainly because like Missouri doesn't have a huge history with Texas and Texas A&M. Um, 
you know, they have a, a good history with Arkansas. Uh, you know, I think it, I think it would probably be Oklahoma and Arkansas would probably be the teams that I think that would put them there. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think they need to they need to link Missouri up with Ar- with Oklahoma, like Oklahoma and Arkansas, and then I I would not be surprised to see Ole Miss still kind of be there. Um, so it would be you know Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss, and then you would have Texas, Texas A and M, uh, you know, and LSU. Um, and maybe I ten corridor. Yeah, maybe like Mississippi State or or something like that. Um, you know, but I yeah, that's so. It's interesting. Um, one of the things. Let me see if I can find this real quick. Uh, so everyone was kind of talking about these pods, right? And I was I was curious to see. Are you know like I I kind of wrote one up that was like, oh, these are lo- the location based pods. Um. Like Oklahoma and Texas are, and really uh, Texas A&M also are are not close to a lot of a lot of schools. Um, so if we're only going by uh, distance, um, like Vanderbilt and Kentucky are actually closer to uh, to Columbia than Norman is. So. I mean, I like I don't I don't really think like I don't, really don't think they're gonna put Mizzou and Kentucky as any kind of permanent rivals. I could see them maybe doing it um, in football, but not I, like I, I think like there's gonna be two probably two versions of uh, you know how the conference breaks breaks down. I think there's gonna be the football version. I think there's gonna be the basketball version. Uh, you know, not not too dissimilar from what it is right now with. Um, you know, with the East and West divisions, you know, but obviously like they've kind of thrown that out for, for basketball. You just have your, uh, your divisional uh, or your, uh, you know, permanent rivals. Um, so like, it's interesting to see kind of like, all right, so Oklahoma, uh, four closest teams, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Texas, and Mizzou. Uh, and I do think like they need to consider like some level of proximity here. Um, Cause I think it like, that's going to make the most sense. Um, but Arkansas is like super close to Mississippi schools. So. It'll probably be, I think they'll probably decide, you know, it'll come down between, you know, I think they're going to keep Missouri and Arkansas linked. I could see them throwing Oklahoma, and then it's just going to be, do you want to put a Mississippi school or one of the Texas schools with them? I think that's probably what I would assume they'll do. Well, and, but I also think, like, so... I mean, I think so, you like, keep it, Tex- I think you want to keep Texas and Oklahoma in one division together. I only say that just because then I think you, you ensure that Red River... I mean, you could do that with a cross division, or you could put Texas and A&M in one division. I think that's going to be... They're going to have one of their rivals in that division. So if if they've decided that Texas and Oklahoma need to be in the same division, I could see Missouri being in the same division with Oklahoma and Texas and Arkansas, depending on which, you know, how they decide to handle those rivalries and keep them together. But I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna see Arkansas and Missouri grouped. Now, if they really want to make it easy, they would just put Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A and M all in a pod, protect those rivalries, just throw 
LSU in there because it's an I-10 corridor type of deal. And you just essentially have the southwest segment done there. And LSU would be able to hang in that space. And it would be fine. And LSU would like that because they try and recruit the living hell out of Texas. Um, they're one of the teams that's most active in Texas. They would love that. And then you would probably just go like Missouri, Arkansas, and the Mississippi schools maybe. You could split it that way if you really wanted to get weird about it. So, but I'm, we got a couple of years before that happens. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see uh, how they decide to play this. Um, yeah. I, like I was just sort of looking at it this past weekend as I was writing about it. And it's, it's just a fascinating thing. Yeah. Like I'm somebody who like, I've always thought we need more regionality uh, in our athletics. And uh, even though like for the most part, I actually don't mind Missouri being in the NCC East because I've, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, the competition that they've had with like South Carolina and I like going to the swamp. Uh, I mean, not me personally, but I like the fact that Mizzou goes to the swamp. Like I feel like it, it, it feels like a little bit of a more natural fit where like anytime they play like, you know, Mississippi state or even Auburn, it just kind of feels weird to me. I don't know. Like, um, so like from that standpoint, uh, yeah, like I, I, I don't mind the SEC East, but I really think that Mizzou and Oklahoma need to be, uh, joined at the hip. And I think, Mizzou and Arkansas need to stay joined at the hip. Uh, and then what they do from there, I, I, I don't really care. Um, like I, I want to see Oklahoma. I want to see Arkansas. Um, and after that, like whatever the SEC wants to do, I'm, I'm okay with if, if they, if they break Missouri off of either of those two schools, like I'll be slightly disappointed with, with how the, the pods have played out. Uh, unless it's something like, you know, like Mizzou and Tennessee and Kentucky, which I, I also think would, would kind of be fun. Um, e- even though, even though Matt, like, like Vanderbilt, uh, you know, Vanderbilt is the second closest school to Columbia. It's number, it's wise, number two. But, yeah. But, distance. But, but not in terms of history and or <laughs> annoyance. Um, just what I wanted to be talking about in late July coming out of the last evaluation period for recruiting is pod structures two I, years from now. I would, I would be more than happy to never like to, to, to not have to watch a game at Memorial Coliseum, Coliseum like every year. Like I would be very, very happy if Missouri, like even though like Vanderbilt athletics have overall, or at least football and basketball have kind of been down, um, like I would, I really don't want to be part of any Vanderbilt pod. <laughs> I mean, Nashville's a fun city though for the for the fans on the road trip. Hey, like um, there's always the uh, SEC tournament. Yeah, because Bridgestone Arena is also a fun place to go watch a basketball game. Um, no, the only other thing that I can think of right now is uh, recruiting is happening, um, and guys are picking places. Uh, Missouri's prime target um, is going to be cutting his list at some point. Who's that? Uh, some kid named Aiden Shaw uh, will okay. be cutting his cutting his list at some point, um, and we'll see uh, if Missouri's on it. I have a strong suspicion they will make the graphic. They're going to make the graphic. Um, 
and I th- I think they're in uh, a good position right now uh, with Aiden. Um, it seems like uh, Iowa and Maryland are long shots, and he has canceled a visit to Arkansas. So that would leave uh, you thinking that it's Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma State. Um, my suspicion would be that it's Missouri and Kansas, and Kansas uh, is still thinks it's deep in the mix for Mark Mitchell. So uh, I'll let people do deductive reasoning from my statements there as to how you feel, how you should feel about uh, Missouri's chances right now. So uh, that's that's all I got on that. Front. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like, I, I think uh, as we get into August, there's going to be a lot to talk about with recruiting. Um, and I think essentially the, the news of the commentary alignment and Jim Sterk were always going to take precedence as we kind of wrap this up. Uh, I had hoped to kind of have CJ on, um, but CJ was on vacation and, uh, and, uh, yeah. How about that? We got denied because somebody would rather be like on a beach somewhere. Like, screw that. Like dive cuts podcast come first. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm good. Um, we can wrap up season yep. four. I can't believe we've done four seasons of this. Why are you all listening to me? <laughs> Why? That seems like the time to ask why, you know, just if you feel like sending me a Twitter comment, please. I'm fascinated as to why you've hung in here with us for four years. It's probably morbid curiosity. Well, um, I do. I do wonder because our podcast num- numbers, uh, as far as downloads, are actually pretty decent. And we, we appreciate uh, all the listeners, obviously. Um, I like I'm kind of curious, like the who are the people that have stuck through like what do you think like the number of people who have listened to we'll say 90 percent of our podcasts uh oh god less season than 20 one. less than 20 i was gonna less say than... i was gonna like i was gonna put the over under at like like 12 and a half over under <laughs> i'll go under, no, go one, under? No, one wants, no one wants to do that to themselves <laughs> subject themselves to our thoughts on something every week that seems terrible for their mental health <laughs> so i'll say under um because i'm also i'm a skeptic by nature so uh i'll say under i yeah i have no idea um i we, we don't actually get individual lis- listener information it's it's all strictly like what platform you used and all that kind of stuff so um but uh, yeah, so we're uh, wrapping up season four. Um, our good friends from um, um, before the box score will be back next week uh, to, I guess, give their own spin on the start of uh, Missouri's fall camp, as well as the conference realignment stuff and Jim Sterk. All the things are happening uh, for Mizzou sports. Uh, Matt and I will be back in a couple weeks. We will probably have a few more recruiting updates uh, and so Mizzou's uh, schedule did drop. Um, we're still kind of waiting on a few bye games uh, before we know everybody. So we'll, we'll be able to kind of get into some of those as well in the in the coming weeks. Um, but we will turn it over to, to, to those guys next week, and uh, we'll be back. Make sure that you you know like, subscribe, and and, and do all that kind of stuff. Um, give us a retweet uh, when that pod comes out. I think Levi likes the uh, the engagement on Twitter. Uh, And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.